Welcome to the Advanced Relationship Podcast. We are your hosts, Bryce Bauer and Jenny Morrow. We are a husband and wife team helping you create the most intimate, loving, and powerful relationships on the planet. Welcome to today's episode. This is Jenny, and I will be running today's episode on my own. So today we're going to be talking about an observation that's just been really interesting for me in the last couple of weeks. And so I wanted to put it out there for anyone else who might find this helpful. It's definitely been an observation that's been more in my mind. It's not something I've talked about out loud a lot. And so I'm going to kind of be flying off the cuff a bit. I'm going to be speaking about something that's been in my mind that I haven't necessarily put down onto paper yet. And so there's just a little disclaimer there. But I'm also feeling really, really excited today to talk about this topic because I think it can impact so many relationships and it can be so subtle and can go unnoticed. So today I want to talk about what happens when we're feeling insecure in our relationships. Now, this can be insecure in your partnership, in your romantic partnership. It can be insecure in your relationship with money. It can be insecure in your relationship with your health. It can be insecure in your relationship with a friendship. So when we are feeling insecure in a important relationship, one of the things I have come to observe is that it's actually really hard to access ourself. So I don't know exactly when the idea of codependency became big. Initially, it started out connected with AA, and codependency was the idea that for every addict in AA, there was like a codependent partner or a codependent family member that was enabling the behavior. So as I've been observing this idea that when we are feeling anxious in our attachment, our sense of self begins to go numb. And I think this is where we can start to see what we would call kind of these codependent patterns that start playing out. We're not going to talk a lot about codependency today, though it would be a topic that would be really, really helpful to visit, not just because these patterns can be so troublesome if they go unnoticed and unchecked, but because there is a kind of dependency in every kind of relationship we have that's really, really important. So identifying what is codependent and what is healthy, strong, important dependency can be a little bit tricky. And so even though we're not going to dive into that particular topic today, hopefully today as we talk about just this one quality that can pop up when we are experiencing insecurity in an important relationship, hopefully that will start to lay some foundation so that down the road when we talk about codependency and healthy dependency, it will make a little bit more sense. So today I'm going to start by talking about how this topic came up for me. So one of the things I've noticed in my own life is sometimes it is very clear to me what I want to do. I wake up in the morning and I feel very clear about where I want to put my attention. I feel very clear about how I want to spend my money that day or not spend my money. I feel very clear about what I value. And this sense of clarity often signifies that on some level, we're actually feeling quite secure. 
So when we look back at the research on attachment, it initially started with adult and child attachment research. And if you're interested, you can look up adult and child attachment research and Bowlby, B-O-W-L-B-Y, is the name of the gentleman who really got this research off the ground. So when we are young, One of the things that we see in the research is when a child feels what we call securely attached, meaning that the parent can come and can go, and the child might feel a little anxious when the child, when the parent leaves, there is often some resistance to the parent leaving. So the transition from the parent being there to not being there isn't always an easy transition. There can be some emotional upset, but the child quickly acclimates to being without the parent and they're able to continue to play and to feel safe. Now, we also see this when the parent is in the room that the child feels very safe and is able to go outside of the sphere of maybe where they can see the parent. They're able to go and explore, to go and be drawn by what draws them in, and to go and play and explore. So what does this mean in our adult relationships? Now, what can happen is when a child is insecurely attached, and there's two different ways that we see this play out. When a child is insecurely attached, they either become anxious and preoccupied with the parent's disappearance. So if a parent leaves, they will continue to cry. They become inconsolable. If the parent is still with them, what you'll find with a more anxiously attached child is they'll be more clingy. They don't want to leave. They don't want to go explore. They appear to feel afraid. There's a sense of fear that the parent might leave. So there's a kind of a clinging that happens. Now, the flip side is another type of insecure attachment where when the parent leaves, the child doesn't even seem to care. It's like there's little to no attachment between the parent and the child or the caregiver and the child to the point where the child doesn't have an emotional response to the parent leaving. When the parent comes back, the child seems to be apathetic or it just doesn't really matter. When the parent is there in the room and they're playing, the child doesn't do what the securely attached child will do, meaning they won't come back and check in. So with a securely attached child, they'll go out and explore, but then they'll come back. They'll come back to the safe attachment and just check in, make sure they're still there, and then they'll go play again. So they might come back and share something, show something, just come in and check in, go out and play again. With this other type of of insecure attachment that's not the anxious or clinging attachment, the child is more disconnected. So the child won't really think to check in with the parent or return back to this attachment figure for any kind of check-in. So again, what happens is we see that these attachment styles actually do play out into our adult relationships. Also, different relationships along the way can have an impact on our attachment style, though we really do find that the parent-child attachment, our first primary attachments are going to be the most impactful. And the attachment styles that we develop are what they call plastic, meaning they're not totally unchangeable. And in the research by a couple of authors who wrote the book Attached, 
One of the authors' last name was Levine, and I forget the other one. But if you look up the book attached, one of the things that they talk about is in the research, about one in four people will have a change of attachment style every four years. I think that was a statistic. So it is possible for attachment styles to change, and they do, but it doesn't happen usually very quickly. And it's less common than it is common to have attachment styles changing regularly. So how does this all play out in identifying and clarifying how we want to spend our time, how we want to spend our energy, what we want to do that day? So one of the things I have found in my own relationship life is when I am experiencing what I would call an insecure attachment experience. And I've noticed these kinds of experiences come up for me in my primary partnership at times. They also have come up for me in my relationship with my health at times. And they also have come up for me in relationship with money at times. And they've also come up for me in my relationship with my family of origin and close friends at times. And what I've noticed is that when I am in an insecure attachment experience, I actually lose sense of myself to the degree that I cannot feel my own desires. I actually cannot access what I value and I can't access from there how I want to always spend my time, spend my money, spend my energy. And it's just been a fascinating reality to begin to observe. And it's not a connection I've ever made very specifically until recently. So I just felt really excited. When I saw it, I realized that, wow, in those moments when I'm not clear, it doesn't mean that I'm not clear. It doesn't mean that there's not access somewhere in me. It just means I can't find it, that it's not available to me in that moment. So it doesn't mean I don't know what I value. It doesn't mean I don't know how I want to spend my time, but I can't access that desire in that moment. And for me, that became a really, really helpful realization because it became a way to soften any kind of pressure that I was putting on myself to know something, right? It can feel a little unsettling if we believe that we don't know how we want to spend our time and our money and our energy. It can feel a little unsettling if we're sensing that we can't even access or that we don't even know our own values. But what I really believe more than that we don't know them is that we just We can't access them in that moment. And where that became comforting for me was to realize that if I can continue to find this balance of trusting what I think I know about myself from past experience and also trusting that I can continue to work on my attachment struggles and that those two things can continue to move me in a direction where I'm able to access myself more and more. So I want to give all of you some ideas for how to navigate and engage those two ways of showing up when you're struggling to access your own sense of self and therefore your own desires and values. So again, when I'm in those places, I don't usually label it that I'm having a hard time accessing my own sense of self. I'll know I, I'll notice that I'm restless, but I don't totally understand what the struggle is. And often I perceive that it's an external struggle that I'm restless because, yeah, it really is kind of cold, so I don't know if I want to go outside today, or I really am kind of tired, and so I don't want to cook a good meal, or I am kind of creatively blocked, and so I don't want to work on a podcast. But the thing that I'll notice is a sense of restlessness. So there have been two ways that I've been practicing working with this. One way is to slow down 
to notice the restlessness and to actually go into a meditative practice. And I most often will use the process of POET, which is the mindfulness process that I developed. And that's the process that Bryce and I teach all of our clients. And so that's the process that I use the most often. And the goal of that is to help me actually be with my anxious attachment struggle and to better understand through that mindfulness practice actually where the block is. So that's one of the ways that I will work on reaccessing myself. The other way is I may use past experiences to make an educated guess. So I may be feeling restless and thinking like, I don't know what would feel good right now. Maybe a walk would feel good. Maybe creating a podcast would feel good. Maybe calling a friend would feel good. Maybe having a talk with Bryce would feel good. But I can't, it's like, again, nothing really sounds that good. So sometimes what I'll do is I'll pick something. I'll pick something that has worked in the past and I'll try it. So there are times where I'll feel very resistant to getting out and walking. But I get out and walk and it feels so good. And I actually can use that experience of walking to get more mindful and start to move through that. Or I may feel very resistant to having a conversation with Bryce. It may feel vulnerable, scary, maybe some shame or embarrassment going on inside. And I will show up and I'll share what's going on and he will respond beautifully. And I'll be able to utilize the secure attachment in our relationship to reaccess myself. So again, in a way, what we're looking for is an access to security again, something that can remind us that we are safe, we are okay, we are okay in our own skin. And that can come through a variety of methods. And you can also just pay attention. So you might also want to notice, is it working? So it might be that we can make an educated guess and it works, but it also ends up feeling like a Band-Aid because it's not too long until the struggle happens again and it happens again and it happens again. So when you start to see it being a pattern that's continually happening and not really resolving. Like it's not, like you're finding ways to cope with it. You're finding ways to deal with it, but it's not really resolving it. Then those might be the cues to really get in and do some deeper relational work. Because again, what we see is that these attachment struggles are changeable. But in my experience, you have to be able to see the struggle and you have to have a way through the process. And again, it might be that attending to it in these ways through these methods might be enough. For me, it wasn't enough. For me, even beginning to work through my attachment struggles really did take coaching. It took community and it took learning from people who had a lot more information and knowledge about the psychology of deep and intimate relationships. So the good news is that there are lots of great resources out there. If getting involved in the Advanced Relationship Academy and if receiving coaching directly with Bryce and I is of interest, be sure to go to www.advancedrelationshipacademy.com. You can check us out there. There's an application you can fill out and someone from our team will contact you and set up a free consultation. And we can just hear a little bit more about your own relationship struggles, what you're wanting to work on, and see if it's a good fit. See if there's any options that we can give you that can help you in your own relationship life. So if you're interested in that, be sure to go to advancedrelationshipacademy.com. Otherwise, I hope you are loving these podcasts. I'll talk to you soon.